Great job, kids. Us adults love, love seeing you all, love hearing you all sing, love seeing you up there. Uh, great job with that. I did notice there are only two girls in the midst of all those boys. So that means us adults are going to have to do some good parenting. Very thankful, though, for the opportunity for the kids to sing in church and thankful for those working with them and leading them to do that. We can learn a lot from kids. Us adults can. May we never forget that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for Sunday mornings. We love Sundays. It's a special day, a different day, a unique day, and it's a day, God, that we have put an asterisk around every week because it's set aside for us to come to church. It's set aside for us to gather with others. It's set aside for us to feed our souls with worship with our church family. Feed our souls with the preaching of the word of God. Father, we pray that today we would be alert and, we would be alert and awake. We would be able to pay attention. We would be focused. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would take us where your word is taking us today with the very heavy, sobering thought that not all people that say they're Christians really are. Not everybody who follows Jesus really follows Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would make this very clear today from your word, but even more clear in our hearts. We ask your blessing upon the word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's turn, in Mark chapter, let's turn to Mark chapter 14. That's page 935 if you are going to use a pew Bible. Mark chapter 14, and we are moving right along. I told you that it's going to take a while for us to finish Mark, even though we're at the end. But it's just so full. It's just so rich. It's just so loaded. I got to watch a little bit of football this weekend, and during the Thursday night game, there was a really bad hit in which uh, was a helmet-to-helmet hit and just looked really bad. And I, I remember thinking, like, oh, man, that, that just looks like somebody's going to be hurt. And I started wondering, like, what people were thinking about that and different people's responses. And it kind of led me to thinking to, you know what happens a lot in sports is sometimes opponents or fans will rejoice or celebrate when somebody on the other team gets hurt. You've probably seen that before, haven't you? Well, something's not right about that. In competition, what's supposed to happen is both do their very best and let the best man win. That's real competition. It's not really a victory if you're not any good and the other team just happened to not show up and forfeit or best player gets hurt and so now they're weaker. That's not really competition. You didn't rise to the occasion. You didn't do your best. You didn't actually win. You won because the other team couldn't win. But beyond that, when we are happy that somebody else is failing, we've gotten outside of the heart of it, haven't we? What should be happening in that situation is we should we should feel sorry for anybody that's just gotten injured. We should hate it for somebody who is hurting. This goes well beyond the football field or the realm of athletics. Y'all, we are not to be those who are ever happy at somebody else's failings. We are not to be those who are happy when somebody else is suffering. Very simply, the Bible tells us to love our enemies. We are to be those who are heavy-hearted, burdened. We are to be those who feel when something's not right. We are to be those who will carry about us a trouble. We are troubled. This troubles me. 
This concerns me. I'm, I'm bothered by this when we see anything that is not right. Pain in the world, suffering in the world, evil in the world, sin in the world, sin in our lives, in our community, sin in our church. Sin should be something that we don't like and it saddens us. There are times in life where we should not be happy and smiley and rejoicing. Some settings and circumstances and events should sober us. In Mark chapter 14, we are at one of those. One of Jesus' closest people turns his back on him. One of the really neat things about Jesus, Jesus is the king of the universe, savior of the world. He is God himself. And yet when he called his people to start the ministry, he only chose 12. He didn't have 100 people with him. When Jesus preached, it wasn't a packed out mega church. Jesus focused on 12 people. Jesus' strategy for changing the world is very much so not like many people's. Jesus' focus was invest in a couple. Give me just a few people. Give me just a little body of 12. We could fit into a, Jesus could fit into a 12-passenger van with his entourage. Those, those guys could huddle up, sit around one table, and eat a meal together. That's what they would do. And he poured into them day and night, all day long. They traveled on foot. They traveled by boat. They spent time together every day for three years. Jesus and the 12, he knew them. He chose them. He handed selected them everybody in here has heard of the 12 apostles and one of them after the three years turned his back on him if you don't know much about the Bible and you read this you're like what if you sat down and said, hey, I want to learn about Jesus and started to read like a whole gospel, Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, and you read it and you were taken and you're just in all of the stories and, and this man and, and his following and the 12 and all that, and you got to this point, you'd be like, what? Really? Judas betrays him? It ought to disgust us. It ought to bother us. And I've been praying all week. I told you all on Wednesday night to please be praying. I begged many of you all to be here. I begged several to be here just yesterday. They told me they would. They're not here today. This passage ought to grip you. And I hope and I have been praying that you would not leave today without being gripped. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 14, two verses today, verses 10 and 11. Then... Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. He sought an opportunity to betray him. This passage begins with the word then, and so it's talking about what just happened. You know that last week I told you this story here from verses 3 to 9 about uh, a lady who anoints Jesus with this very expensive ointment. The ointment was worth a year's income. I don't know how much you make a year, but a year's income is worth a lot. I know you've never thought about uh, one thing costing what you make in a year, but that's what this was. She broke it, and everybody was like, why is she doing that? And Jesus said, leave her alone. What she did is right. She did it because she understood the great value of Jesus. But that passage that we looked at last week right there in verses 3 through 9 is kind of like a little, a little interlude. It fits with what Mark's doing, but it's, it's not exactly there with the flow. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14. 
It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And look here, here's our main characters. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So there's our setting. We have the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes are now fully determined to do away with Jesus. It used to not be the time but now it is the time. They are thinking that and Jesus in his own plan of God to die for the sins of the world, Jesus knows that too. Josh Womble preached on that just a couple weeks ago. Now is the time. And so they are determined how, how can we arrest him and kill him? How can we do away with this guy? That's our plan. What can we do? And then you skip down to verse 10, our passage today, and it says, then Judas. Here's the key. Here's the key. Then Judas, who was one of the 12, went to them in order to betray him to them. In verse one and two, they're seeking, how can we pull this off? Man, it's gonna be hard. It's during a festival. Everybody's gonna be in an uproar, it says. How can we do this? We're gonna have to do it with stealth, right? We gotta stay very, very low key so that we don't get caught. How can we do this? How can we kill him? Then Judas came along. Here's the key. Here's our end. Here's how we can pull it off, Judas. So troubling. It is so absolutely troubling. Judas was called by Jesus to be an apostle. And now he's the key. It's really bad. Judas was not a genuine follower of Christ, obviously. And today I want to, we're going to talk more about Judas because this is just Judas planning to betray him. If you'll look over to verse um, 43 of the same chapter, which we'll get to in a few weeks. This is where Judas betrays him. So we'll talk more about the betrayal of Jesus then. Right now it's just Judas is going to be the one who will betray him. I want to give you three points today that are going to be very heavy on our hearts. The first is that there are some fake followers of Christ. There are fake followers of Christ. There are. The second is fake followers of Christ do not love God most. They do not love God most. The third is that fake followers of Christ connect more with unbelievers than they do with believers. And I hope I'm not running out of time when we get to that point, and I hope y'all are buckled up. Number one, there are fake followers of Christ. I hate saying this. I hate that it's real. My whole livelihood, my profession, which is not hardly a profession, I'm not a professional at this, my, my career, my whole job is to live, to build y'all up in believing that Christ is true and to empower you all through the truth of the word of God, through discipling you all to live faithfully to Jesus. That's our whole purpose in the world, to make disciples. That's my job. We are to be the light of the world shining in the world. We are. We are to be the salt of the earth making the earth a better place. We are to be the pillar and buttress of the truth in the world so that the world would know the truth of God, that Christ is Lord and worthy is the lamb who was slain, that he is the savior of the world and that apart from Christ, there is no other name where you might be saved. That is what we are to be about. The truth is, is that there are people who will say that they are that, 
They're believers, disciples, followers of Christ, and the honest truth is that they aren't. There are fake followers of Christ. Judas is a perfect example. In verse 10, look what it says. Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12. He was one of the 12. You know how often you just say, yeah, the 12 apostles, the 12 apostles, yeah? You know how many references there are even in the book of Revelation to the the 12, to the 12 apostles? All the time, you and I say the 12, the 12. Hey, how many guys did Jesus use to change the world? 12. How many guys did Jesus take with him when they went out preaching and healing? 12. We use it all the time. We talk about the 12 apostles all the time, and yet one of them, listen, one of them, Judas, wasn't. He wasn't the real thing. He was a phony. This is so bothersome. He wasn't a real follower of Christ. Keep your finger there and turn with me to John chapter 6. I want you to know this passage. I refer to this passage a lot, and I want you to. I'll tell you how I remember it and how you can remember it. I'm going to start at verse 66. So that means it's John 666. But scripture, so don't worry. Some of y'all get worried when you see 666, don't you? I remember I was with my dad one time at the gas station or the grocery store, and at at the counter, it ran up to be $6.66. And my dad said, oh my goodness, let me get a pack of gum real quick to change that. Don't worry about it, y'all. Jesus is much more powerful than the 666, right? Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We can gladly turn to John 666. We're not worried that all of a sudden the devil's about to jump out and ruin this sermon. John 666. But now that I've said all that about it, you'll remember it. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Followers of Jesus that aren't really followers of Jesus. They said they were his disciples, but they no longer follow him. If you're not following him, you're not his follower, okay? I know that may sound like 101, but that is biblical truth, okay? If your pastor has to cry and beg you to try to come to church even one time a year and you don't want to, here's your sign, okay? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, here's the irony, he's talking to even Judas now, but that's not my point. Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, Peter says, no way. Let everybody else turn away. We won't. You have the answer. You have the truth. You have the words of eternal life. I'm worried about my soul. I'm worried about my sins. I'm worried about judgment. I'm worried about hell. And there is only one answer, and that is the Lord Jesus. Lord, where else would we go, he says. Verse 69, and we have believed. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? Now look at this. And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the 12, was going to betray Now, I want you to see here that they don't understand that. He just straight up said, one of you is a devil. It's John telling us that he's talking about Judas, but they don't understand it. Because when you get to the end of the passages that we're studying now over the next couple weeks, when they're sitting there taking the Lord's Supper, Jesus is going to say, one of y'all is about to betray me, and they're going to be, oh, which one is it? Which one is it? You'll see that in a couple weeks. You've heard that story before. When Jesus brings it up at the very crunch time, Jesus actually says, all right, go ahead and do your thing, betray me. Remember, and we'll talk about this more when we get there, remember, all of this betrayal is at the very plan of God so that our Lord Jesus could die for our sins. He could not die for our sins without the plan of God for him to become our sins. He could not be arrested by the bad guys if he didn't give himself up. And so that's the setting. But they don't understand it here. 
But I want you to see the very sobering thought that one of the 12 is a fake. One of the 12 is not a follower of Christ. He's a follower of Christ, but he's not a follower of Christ. There are fake followers of Christ. Not only is he, you know, struggling, we might say. Not only is he just not doing well, no longer is he not focused right now, no longer, all of that. But he, at the words of Jesus in John chapter six, verse 71, Judas is what? A devil. Very strong, very bothersome to hear our Lord say that. He is talking about somebody who by title is a follower of Christ. A fake follower of Christ. J.C. Ryle says, it is impossible to conceive of a more striking proof of this painful truth than the history of Judas Iscariot. If ever there was a man who at one time looked like a true follower of Christ and bade fair to reach heaven, that man was Judas. He was chosen by the Lord Jesus himself to be an apostle. He was privileged to be a companion of the Messiah. He was an eyewitness of his mighty works throughout his entire earthly ministry. He was an associate to Peter, James, and John. He was sent forth to preach the kingdom of God, and he worked miracles in Christ's name. He was regarded by all the 11 apostles as one of themselves. He was so like his other disciples his fellow disciples, that they they did not suspect him of being a fake, a traitor. And yet this very man turns out at the end, at last, a false-hearted child of the devil. And he departs entirely from the faith. Let me say that again. He departs entirely from the faith. Assists our Lord's deadliest enemies and leaves the world with a worse reputation than anyone since the days of Cain. Never was there such a fall. Never was there such an apostasy, such a miserable end to a fair beginning. Never has there been such a total eclipse of a soul. This one that was one of the 12 turned on Jesus. This one who so clearly seemed, so much seemed to be a Christian, wasn't. There are fake followers of Christ. There's a lot that we could say about that, and I will get to it later on when we look at Judas. And there are many, 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 many characteristics of what a true believer looks like. We could go on and on. I hope you know several. There are many, many things that make somebody a true believer. But one of the strong ones that you often forget and neglect is what we would call perseverance. Believers will stay believers until the end. Believers, listen to me, will finish the race. The Bible even teaches that if one will not finish the race, if they don't finish as a believer, then whatever they did starting as a believer means they must not have been a believer if they're not finishing the race. One could look at Judas's life and say, man, for that three-year window, he was so legit, he was so real. I mean, he, he, he used to be that. And yet the Bible says this man is not a follower of Christ. One characteristic of a true follower of Christ is that they will persevere till the end. So that means on some level, listen to me please, we don't know if any of us are ultimately true followers of Christ unless we see us make it to the end. Now, don't take that too far. Don't get too deep in thought on that. But perseverance is such a characteristic of true redemption, of the new birth, of a a new heart, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, that if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, 
God who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Y'all remember the Philippians 1-6 testimonies that we've done so many times? Paul writes to the Philippian church, I am confident of this very thing, that the God who started this work in me will finish this work in me. Perseverance is so real. There are many characteristics of what a true believer is like. That one lets us know that while we can see a lot of good fruit right now, we can't necessarily see all of the evidence, for part of the evidence is that you will make it to the end. In other words, hold on tight and don't let go. And even though the storms will come, and even though it looks like the world and the, and the trials are gonna shake you to where you can't go anymore, remember the words of Jesus that he is a sure foundation. He is a keeping God. He will not let you go. He is always with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And if you have built your house of your life on the foundation that is the truth of the word of God, no matter how big or bad the storm comes, that rock will not let you fall. He will hold you up. Don't let go. Just a little while longer will be there. But another characteristic of a true follower of Christ, and I hope you know this one well, is Believers love God most. They love God more than anything else. So my second point is that fake followers do not love God most. They may say that they love God, but they do not love him most. This is like the acid test of loving God. Do you love him most, right? You know, one of my problems with us right now, and I've been, I've been wanting to write like an article on this, is that we, are, we really struggle with our vocabulary to really say what we mean, don't we? And I say this to my kids a lot. You know, I, I love sweet tea. There's no drink that compares to sweet tea. You might have a lot of good options of, of drinks, but sweet tea kind of takes the cake for me. I love sweet tea. But I also love basketball. Actually, last night was the first preseason game of the NBA, so I'm already ready to be done with football because basketball season is about to start. I love basketball. I also love my wife. I love her so much. And I also love God. Well, that's a little bit blurry, isn't it? To love sweet tea and basketball and my wife and God, what does that mean, right? What does that mean? And so sometimes we get a little blurred by that. My, my point here for you right now, and this is a major heart check for you, is that fake followers of Christ may say they love God, may think that they love God, but they do not love him most. This reigns over everything else. I love God. I will decide how I'm going to do everything else. I will determine how I'm going to love or like or appreciate everything else under the umbrella of loving God most, most supreme. Every decision, every emotion, every action in our lives is done, figured out, discerned through loving God. That is why there are things that we do and that is why there are things that we don't do because loving God is this banner, this umbrella, this driving factor in our lives. There are some things that we can do while loving God and there are some things that we cannot do while loving God, but loving God is what reigns over us. Loving God is our heart's greatest desire. The greatest commandment in the whole Bible that is the summary of all of the law of God is for you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love him and true Christians who understand how sinful they are, how wretched they are, how guilty they are in their sins, how deserving they are of the wrathful, rightful punishment of God. Those people who understand that and yet in that guilt of sin see the mercy of God punishing Jesus in their place, those that understand that free and glorious redemption that comes through Jesus paying it all for you, those people that grasp how sinful they are but how merciful God is in Christ have no other response than thank you, God. I love you, I love you, I love you, God, because you love me so much. Our love for God is a direct 
response. It is a direct reply to understanding how much God loves us. Greater man has greater love has nobody than this. He died for us while we were yet sinners. God demonstrates his own love for us. He loves us this much. As we are sinning against him, Jesus dies in our place. The great love of God controls us, the Bible says. And because his love is so huge and so big and so strong in our lives, it is only the right response. And it is not one that you have to make up. It flows out of you when the love of God flows into you. You love him most. But fake followers of Christ don't. They may respect him. They may try to honor him. But they don't love God most. Look here at Judas. Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him. I, I, I can't even read this without just thinking, what? How? How did he do that? For three years, he's been with Jesus day and night everywhere he went, and all of a sudden, he's like, I think, I think they're trying to kill him. I've heard some rumblings that the chief priests and the scribes are wanting to get rid of him, but they don't have a plan. I'm gonna go help them out. I'm gonna go help them out. Let me go find those guys. Hey, I hear y'all wanting to kill Jesus. Y'all, let me remind you, this guy's never sinned. This is the guy who is changing the world. This is the guy who teaches like nobody's ever taught. This is the guy who spoke to the storm and the storm stopped. This is the guy who the blind people see and the, and the people that couldn't walk, walk. This is the guy that fed the 5,000 just by praying to God and multiplying the, the, the bread and the, and the fish. This is Jesus we're talking about. And Jesus is like, y'all trying to kill him? Yeah, man, we're trying to kill him. All right, I'll help y'all out. How are we going to do this? And nowhere, nowhere does it tell us, listen to me, this is the one I think you are going to really battle with a little bit. Nowhere does it tell us, nowhere, that Judas had any issues with Jesus. See, a lot of y'all just think in two categories. You either believe in God and you're all right, or you're an atheist and you're not all right. And that's not true. There are a lot of people who say they love God, say they worship God, say they follow Jesus that are not saved, are not right with God. They don't love him most. In another very sobering passage in Matthew 25, it's the, it's the, it's the passage of the sheep and the goats, and it says that Jesus is going to sit on his throne in judgment, and he's going to gather the entire world before him, and he will judge each of us one-on-one, -on -one, and he will separate the sheep from the goats, and he will say to some people, welcome into the kingdom, and he will say to some people, you're not welcome into the kingdom, depart from me, go to hell, and they're going to say, what do you mean go to hell? Jesus says that they say this to him. What, what do you mean? We did this for you, and we believed in you, and we were doing this, and we were doing all this stuff for you. Jesus said, you, you never knew me. When you thought you were serving me, you weren't serving me. They didn't love God most. This is why I preach to y'all so often that if we're going to be any type of church, we ought to be a humble church. We're not a proud church of all that we're doing. There's a lot of people going to hell who think they're doing a whole lot for God. There's a lot of people going to hell who say they love God, but they don't love God most. There is nothing in the New Testament that teaches us that Judas had any problems with Jesus. Listen to me. Judas's problem, folks, was not with Jesus. Judas's problem was Judas. Your, your problem isn't this fairytale roundabout over here just driving you crazy. It's not, it's not the roundabout. And every time I hear you getting worked up over it and cursing those workers and complaining on Facebook or this or that, I don't think, yeah, that roundabout. I think, man, my people. I think this town. There's a Facebook page called Aaron, I Am Fairdale. You want to get a good taste of what the Fairdale folks are like? Look at that page. Our problem isn't everybody else. Our problem's us. 
Your problem isn't everybody else. Your problem's you. Your problem for sure isn't Jesus. Your problem is you. Judas had a problem. And the Bible doesn't tell us anywhere, anywhere that he had anything wrong with Jesus. He didn't say, well, Jesus, I just don't think you're teaching too good today. And, you know, I've kind of been thinking about these options for salvation. I think you're a little bit off on how I can be saved. Nothing like that. It just shows us that, that Judas is the problem. Let me show you a few things. Look at... Um, Follow along with me. Verse 17. And when it was evening, he came and he was there with the 12. Look at verse 22. The institution of the Lord's Supper. And as they were eating, he took bread and blessed it. He did the whole thing that we explained during the Lord's Supper. He said, hey, this bread here represents my body. It's going to be broken for you. This drink here, this wine represents my blood. It's going to be spilled for you. Judas was there. He was eating. Okay, okay, bread for the body, okay. Drink for the blood, okay. Just because you take the Lord's Supper and you're that committed to church doesn't mean anything. You look just like Judas. Look at verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, he was singing there with the 12, looked great. Just because you're here singing, I notice some of y'all don't even sing. That's a whole nother sermon. You don't sing to God. The Bible says over and over again to sing to God. I look around, some of you are like this the whole time. I saw it today and I thought, well, that sermon's coming later. <laughs> Judas is there singing with them. Even some people that sing are singing like we worship God. Some people are singing. We, what, what are some of the songs that we just sang? How great is our God? Some of y'all were just saying how great is our God and you may not believe it. Look at verse 31, y'all. This will shake you. Look at verse 31. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. I will not deny you. And you know the story. Peter does deny him. Even after that emphatic answer, even if it costs me my life, I will not deny you, Jesus. And Jesus said, yeah, you will, Peter. But look what it says right after that. And they all said the same. Judas said, yeah, me too. I'll never deny you, Jesus. I'll never. Listen, no matter how emphatically you try to prove that you're committed, that you follow Jesus, it's not the proof. Not the proof. If you ever talk to people who aren't in church anymore, People have fallen away, you'll often hear them say, man, I used to do all that. Used to be all about it. I used, to, used to work with the youth group. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say that. Yeah, I used to do all that, you'll do. You'll see one day, Josh. I used to do all that. Man. I used to do nursery, I used to do children ministry, I used to teach Sunday school, I used to do all that. And my thought isn't great, my thought is what happened? What happened, what changed? Y'all, there's one motive, listen, one motive, love God most. There's one motive. If you're working with kids many because you like kids, pfft. if you're working with children because you love babies, pfft. if you're feeding a football team because you're a big Fairdale fan, eh. if you're doing dare to care for the other stuff, no, it's not gonna work. It's not. We've been doing dare to care for a year. I think we've had one, one, one dare to care person come to church and she already quit coming. There is one thing that causes people to know that our God is unstoppable. It is a love for him that's above everything else. Amen. And fake followers of Christ may say they do this, they take the Lord's Supper, they sing in church. You can go on and on with all the marks that make them a, a Christian from some people's perspective. But if you don't love God most, then it just looks like Judas. And it's not worth anything. The problem that Judas had was not Jesus. His problem was himself. J.C. Ryle says, let us learn from this melancholy history of Judas to be clothed with humility and to be content with nothing short of the grace of the Holy Ghost in our hearts. Knowledge of the Bible, gifts, profession, privileges, church membership, power of preaching, praying, talking about your religion are all useless things if your heart is not converted. 
They are all no better than sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal if we've not put off the old man and put on the new. They will not deliver you from hell. But a love for Jesus will because you know how much he loves you. Fake followers do not love God most. Now, you remember, look back at Mark chapter 14. Do you remember what everybody said? Oh, let me hold off on that. Sorry, so sorry. That's, that's, that's the wrong point. It's not what I want to make. In John chapter 12, verse 6, it teaches us that Judas had been the one. This is fascinating, too. Judas had been the one of the 12 that became the treasurer. He's the one that kept up with the money. There are fascinating smaller little studies that you can get out of this idea of Judas. He was the treasurer. But in John chapter 12, verse 6, talking about this, it said that Judas speaks up and says that money could have been used for the poor. But John says this. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. See, here's a sign of this guy that was an apostle. There were some inconsistencies in his life. He didn't love God most, and a closer examination had rather more evidences than we were thinking. See, so often we look at somebody and we see some of those good signs and we tend to be kind of gracious toward them and rightly so with some of the glaring, obvious, bad signs. John says that Judas was a thief. He used to use some of Jesus and the 12's money for the wrong reasons. Folks, he didn't love God most. His biggest problem wasn't Jesus. His problem was himself. Judas was selfish. Judas, Judas was in it for himself. Judas loved money more than he loved God. And y'all know what the Bible says about money, right? The root of all evil is the love of money. Money is not the root of all evil. Life takes money. Money's not the problem. Just like the roundabout's not the problem. Just like anything else ain't the problem. Money's not your problem. The love of money is your problem. The love of money was Judas's problem. He did not love God most and therefore seek to understand his finances through his love and worship for God. He loved money. And so he sought a way to get more money. There are fake followers of Christ, number one. Fake followers do not love God most, number two. Number three, fake followers connect more with unbelievers than they do with believers. Fake followers connect more with unbelievers than they do with believers. Look what it says here. And if that verse 10 didn't rock you, look at this. Judas went to them in order to betray him to them. Verse 11, and when they heard it, they were glad. They were happy about it. Folks, do you ever do something against God and see your unbelieving family and friends applaud you? Do you ever sin before God? Do you ever betray him and watch your unbelieving friends that you should be a light shining in the darkness to and you see them pat you on the back? Do you stay out too late sometimes on Saturday night and then not want to get up on Sunday and your unbelieving friends say, hey, that's all right, it's not like you're going to hell for it. You're not going to hell for missing church. You will go to hell if you don't love God most. What a heavy, heavy thought 
that one of the 12 is acting in a way that makes the enemies of God glad. This scares me. This scares me. I get patted on the back a lot. I try hard to be out in the community and do a lot. You know what? A lot of times, I get patted on the back a lot. I gotta be careful to make sure that I'm not being patted on the back by people who don't want the kingdom of God to grow. I gotta be careful that pats on the back for the wrong reasons don't encourage me. I've gotta be careful that I'm not happy when the people that shouldn't be happy are happy. They were glad. Now, there's been a lot of talk about what it means to truly love somebody. And if you're thinking that loving somebody is helping them go in the wrong direction, that you are really, really wrong. Loving somebody that's going in the wrong direction is doing everything you possibly can to get them to stop going in the wrong direction. Charles Spurgeon says that if sinners are gonna be damned to hell, may they have to leap over our bodies to get there. <clears throat> they were glad of what Judas was doing breaks my heart. Now, at this setting, I'm just picturing if this was a movie, this would have been really cool, would have been an undercover scene, they're probably in a back alley or in a dark room or something like that, and they're, they're talking about it. I mean, y'all, Judas says, y'all trying to kill him? Yeah, we're trying to kill him. All right, I'm gonna help y'all out. I know where he meets and prays. I know where he'll be. If we go there at the right time, it'll be night. We can go, we can go get him, we can get him. Okay, what, what do you want for it? I want money. How much you gonna give me? Well, it, it depends, it's gotta be enough. They, they decide on 30 pieces of silver. You could have seen it. Hi, Judas, you're our guy. Don't let me down, man. They probably were hugging each other. They were doing all that, it's probably awesome. Judas probably went home going, man, 30 pieces of silver. I'm gonna be able to buy me something. I'm gonna be able to do, do this. It, it's all good. The chief priest probably went home going, okay, we've got it, man. It's all gonna work out. We're gonna do away with this guy, Jesus. It seemed awesome. You know what happened just a couple of days later? Judas, under such guilt and shame, runs and commits Suicide. Just a few days later, before, they were glad. Folks, don't be deceived by gladness. Don't be deceived by somebody being happy for you. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived at all by somebody patting you on the back. God tells us what's good and what's the right direction. God tells us what's upright. God tells us, don't be distracted by the wrong things. Don't be distracted by the wrong praise. Don't be distracted by the wrong applause. Fake followers connect more with unbelievers than they do with believers. I realize, listen to me, that you may not have much in common with me or much in common with us, but the thing that we love most is God, and we have that in common, and so we've got that in common. If that can't bring us together, then something is majorly, majorly wrong. The love of God is such a supreme love and such a supreme heart-controlling thing that it controls us, and therefore we become a family, and we learn to love and care and support each other. If you don't like spending time with people that love God, and you're more encouraged by spending time with people that don't love God, then you very well are in a bad spot. Turn from that. Fake followers connect more with unbelievers than they do with believers. Judas went to them and they were glad. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're gonna stop there, but I want you to hear it. And even if you don't know where Hebrews is, try your best to find it. It's before James. I want you to see this. One commentator says that Mark's account implies that Judas was fully responsible for his betrayal of Jesus. It is he who goes to the chief priests, not they to him. And in one of the bitterest lines of the gospel... His treachery causes them joy. It's wicked, y'all. It's wicked. There are some things that the world is jumping up and down and celebrating and clapping over and high-fiving over and going crazy over they think is all good that should make us sick. It should bother us. It's not good. It's not right. We love God most. He is the thing that we love most. 
Hebrews chapter 10 picks up on betrayal of Jesus. He's not talking about Judas here, he's talking about us. And I know earlier I gave some examples about not going to church. Please hear me again. Not going to church does not at all mean that you're not saved. I'm not saying that if you don't go to church, you're not going to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that it's in the conversation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Look at verse 29. If you're thinking about betraying Jesus, if you're a fake follower of Christ, look at verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. Look at verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There are fake Christians out there, y'all. They do not love God most. They'd rather associate with unbelievers. Folks, Christ died for our sins to bring us to God. May you trust in him. Love him most. May we be warned today of the ugly, ugly, ugly sin of betraying him. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to be fake. If there's any falsehood in us, God, Convict us now. If there's any falsehood in us, God, convict us now. If we don't love you most, convict us now. Set our hearts on the Lord Jesus. Give us faith and lead us to repentance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.